Knowing your called. Knowing your called. Now, my heart in this message is to help us to settle this issue of calling, to really get a hold of the revelation that God has in fact called every one of us to a purpose and that that is settled in our soul that we may live from that place of peace. And I I want to uh, compel you to see in the scriptures that when we don't see or know that we're called, that we don't live from that place, that it causes us to walk in a, by way of hesitation or by way of stumbling. But God has given us a calling. He wants us to know that we're called and settle this so that it can be the driving force in our lives. I mean, when you get that, when you see, wow, God of the universe created me for a purpose. He's got a plan for my life. When that thing goes off in you, it should produce this position, this posture. It says, how really can I possibly live for anything else? How can I possibly live for any other reason, any other plan than that which God has created me for? Because let me tell you this, the enemy has a plan for your life too. He absolutely does. It's very clear. His plan, simple, but effective in his way when he wreaks it on mankind, which is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to kill, to destroy the works of God from actually happening in your life. And what I want for us to do, what I, the place that I want for us to be in, by we, I mean God's people, but the church, is that calling is more important than conformity. Calling is more important than conformity. Because this is what I found. There's no neutral ground here. If we're not living for purpose, calling from God, then the world and the enemy will conform us to its standards. But when we say, I refuse to bow the knee to conformity in my generation, in my time, I refuse to be swayed more by culture than by the God of the universe. I'm standing for calling. I'm living for purpose. And you live upward toward heaven to that which he has called you for. Then you will not be conformed and you, we will sway the world. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So let's read in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses here. Because Peter addresses... Uh, this concept of calling, and we're going to see how he breaks this down and how he speaks this uh, in a powerful way that I really hope and pray we get today. Verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me just simplify that. He's saying to all of us who are saved to those of us who, are know, who know Christ. He's writing and addressing people who are walking in Christ, who've already given their lives to the Lord. These are saved people. Verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 2. Grace and, multi- and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. 
by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, thank the Lord for that, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, you've got spiritual DNA, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, you are out from under the bondage of that. Verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. So he goes through a progression of walking out spiritual maturity, of maturing in your faith. In verse 8, it says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful. None of us want to be barren or unfruitful. Amen. You will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. You're going to hear me say this next verse multiple times today. Be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we're here to encounter you. We are not here for a work of man. We are here for your work and for you to speak to us, to show yourself to us, God, and to make us changed, different than from when we walked in today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint me now. I am not misguided. Lord, there is nothing in me, absolutely nothing, to bring transformational change in people's lives. I am fully dependent on you now. Holy Spirit, move and work through me. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In case you didn't know, that's a great song by Chris Tomlin, Nobody. I'm just a nobody. Yeah, you don't want me to keep going. Trust me on that. I didn't ask for an amen, okay? <laughs> Holy cow. There should be a, like an etiquette of proper times to say amen in service. So knowing that you're called, title of our message series let me just summarize for a minute last week, part one, if you weren't here, we talked about the parable of the wedding feast. Jesus, he breaks down this parable for the disciples and he, he likens the kingdom of God. He compares the, the life of, in heaven, getting into heaven, to a father who throws a wedding ceremony for his son. The father's father God, the son is Jesus. And we know that many places throughout Scripture, the Bible refers to our relationship with Jesus as a bride and a groom. The church is the bride. We are the bride of Christ. And Jesus is the groom. And there will be a marriage reunion that takes place in the sky. Revelation 19 speaks about that. Father throws this huge party. He's got a wedding plan for the son. He sends servants out to go and invite all bunch of people throughout the land to come and attend this wedding celebration. A lot of those servant or a lot of those people who are invited decline on the invitation. They're too busy, they've got other things going on, they're disinterested in going to this banquet that the father has prepared, this marriage that he set for the son. 
So the father, out of his patience, out of his long suffering, he sends the servants out again, ask them again, extend another invitation. You got to understand, this is a picture of the invitation towards salvation, a life with Christ for all of eternity. God is long suffering. We're living in the days of his mercy right now, where he is still offering opportunities for men to come to him, to know him, so that they can live in glory after this life. So these servants are going, and some of them are refusing to come. And then finally, the father says, Okay, go into all the streets and invite everybody. Everybody that you see, everybody. They can fog a mirror. The good and the bad alike. Invite them all. It speaks to the fact that there's no partiality with God. He will, what he'll do for one, he'll do for all. The Savior of the world came for the whole world. Jesus says, invite them all. Any of them that are messed up, that are broken, that got problems, that got issues, it doesn't matter. Invite every single one of them to this banquet. And a bunch of them come. They come from the streets. They come from all the corners of the earth. They pour into this wedding celebration and the courts are full, even though many declined on the invitation and refused to come. The father's looking around, he sees this one man who's trying to get in, and he sees this man, he says, you can't get in, what are you trying to do? This guy's trying to get in wearing his own clothing, wearing his own uh, garments. The father says, no, you cannot get in here unless you're wearing a wedding Garment. This is a garment that was issued by the father, by the, the bridal family, or by the, the family of the groom. For those guests, if they were going to be there, they had to be wearing the wedding garment. Right? Again, there's a marriage supper of the Lamb that we will have with Christ in the air when we go to be with Him when He returns. And it says that we will be wearing garments of white linen. The saints will. This is the garment of righteousness. Only Jesus can give you that. Only Jesus can give it to us, to issue to us, so that we can wear that. His blood washes us clean. It, it removes the stain of sin from our lives, and we are made white as snow. There's no ability in you or me and any of us to save ourselves. We can't prepare a garment. We can't make a garment. We can put on garments, try to make them look good, try to get in under false precept, but it'll never work. It'll never satisfy God's quality of being just in the day of judgment. It says you've got to be wearing the wedding garment. And this man is trying to get in on his own works, on his own deeds, trying to earn his way in instead of just being willing to receive the grace and the invitation. And the father says, nope, he can't get in. He's not wearing the garment. He needs to be cast out into outer darkness. This speaks of hell. Now, listen, I just want to say this for a minute, that hell is a real place. It absolutely is. The Bible talks about it many times over. It's not figurative language. It's not a hypothetical ideology. This is a real place. If you're listening to preachers and teachers, people who are espousing to you that that's not the case, you need to beware of that teaching because hell is a real place. And it's all through the Bible. But here's the thing. When we preach about it, when we talk about it, it's not a message of condemnation. It's a message of hope. Because here's what you have to know. This is what everyone needs to understand when we talk about hell. We're talking about calling in this series, what you're called for, what God's created you for, what he wants for you. Listen to me, hear me on this. None of us, no one, not one, was created for hell. Nobody. God didn't create people and say, I'm creating some for hell, I'm creating some for heaven. No one was created for hell. Hell was created as a consequence to satisfy God's quality of being just. Because man jacked up 
the original plan, and then when we're born into the world in sin, there needs to be atonement for that, because God is just, so he says no sin can enter into heaven, into his presence. So by Jesus' blood, we're washed clean, we're made white as snow, we put on the garment of righteousness, and we walk right into his glorious courts and enjoy the greatest celebration that will ever be had for all of time. Amen, hallelujah, good time to say amen now. All right. So we see that. Now, when we read these verses here that Peter is speaking, he's addressing, again, saved people, and he's trying to help them see how important knowing that they're called by God truly is. And when we look at this story in the wedding feast parable, we see this concept of calling because Jesus says at the end of the parable, he says, many are called, few are chosen. We see this concept of calling, describing salvation. And that, hear me, in everything we'll talk about, about calling, purpose, destiny for your life, this is what you need to know, that salvation in the sense that it is us with Jesus for all of eternity in heaven, that is the highest fulfillment of our calling. That is the highest level of what God has, called, has created us for. Everything else that we will peer into, that we will live for. Where do I work? Where do I live? What do I do? Who am I marrying? Where am I, who are my relationships? All of these things, believe me, God does get granular. He does get detailed with us. He cares about every hair in your head. But we have to understand that the fullness of this thing, the big picture, the upward call, the high place that we're living toward is that this life is not the end and that salvation is fulfilled. Our calling is fulfilled once we leave this earth and step into eternity. It's a powerful thing. It's a great thing because you know what that means? It always keeps getting better. Oh, only a few of you like that. It just keeps getting better. The best is yet to come. On the other side is where, is where glory really sets in in fullness. And so Peter's saying, look, I read that verse in, in verse 10. Make your calling and election sure. See, calling, it's, it means invitation. It means a summoning, right? An invite. And it has to be accepted. It has to be received before any, someone actually steps into the benefits and the privileges of what that invitation is intended to give them. You see, the root word, everywhere that you see that word calling used in the New Testament, the root word is a Greek word called kaleo. It just means to call, right? So if I pick up the phone and I call you, I kaleo you, that phone's ringing. I intend to have a conversation with you. I want to invite you to engage in this relationship with me. But if you just stare at the phone, hmm, voicemail, if you just decline to answer, then the benefits of that invitation will go unrealized. But if you accept the invitation, then we engage in relationship. And calling from God is like that. It's an invitation that God is extending to all four corners of the earth by way of his son. And he uses messengers to dispatch the message. But he is the one qualified to sign the invitation. And we have to accept it whenever it is extended. And we know that there's kind of different layers, if you will, 
to this revelation of calling. We must begin by examining that our ultimate fulfillment of our calling is salvation. It's stepping into glory with Him after this life. But it, it also speaks to things even on a daily level in our lives. For example, that same word, kaleo, Paul uses it in a lot of his writings. He says, Paul called, kaleo, invited, summoned to be an apostle. Well, what's that? It's, it's an office. It's, it's what he does. It's, it's not who he is. Do you understand that? He, he is a child of God. He's walking out a calling here in this earth as an apostolic leader over the church. So what am I saying? I'm saying that God has a calling for our lives. It's about the fulfillment in eternity, but he very much wants to use every single one of us in a powerful way to bring transformational change here into this earth for him. And he's got that plan for every single one of us. And I want to just kind of mention or talk about today a few different qualities of this calling. A few different things. So if you're taking notes, I have four points. The first point about calling is it's a holy calling. It's a holy calling. Listen to this. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God who has saved us and called us, Cleo, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Does that not blow you away? Because that blows me away. Like, God hadn't even assigned time. And my purpose, your purpose, our destiny was already in the heart of God. Wow. Blows me away. But he says here, he says it's a holy calling. Holy means to be set apart. It means to be separated. It means to be set aside and used for specific purpose. And it's saying right here, God has called us all, invited. There's a pending invitation if we haven't accepted it yet. Pending that he has invited us all into a holy calling. He set us apart. It is unique and it is personal. This is very important that you understand this, that it's personalized. You see, if you were to go to, I don't know, let's say like a, a concert, rock concert. Um, and... The artist that's doing the performance has issued all these invitations, these tickets, right? And so if we get a ticket, then we get to go and we get to enjoy the show. But nobody in that concert is personally engaged with the artist. It's just a general invite, just come if you can, show up, no interaction, watch the show. Not the way with Jesus. It's personal. There's an invitation by way of Jesus, his work on the cross. But when we say yes to it, when we accept it, it gets personal. Because the Holy Spirit, God says he sends, breathes the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us. And our assurance of our calling is actually birthed in our spirit man, not in our intellectual man. The deeper part of who we are. And I've, I, I mean, I've said this before and I just say it again that I teach this, I preach this, you're called, you're called, you're called, and it's great. And I, I want you to hear it, but I, I'm simply trying to pave the way 
Because if all you ever do is hear me say this, and God himself doesn't reveal this to you in your spirit where it's birth as truth, then when you're in adversity and when you're in difficulty out there and you try to lean on, well, pastor told me, well, somebody told me, instead of God showed me, I promise you, you're going to see just how unreliable man is. Jeremiah 17.5 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Blessed are those who put their trust in the Lord. I'm a messenger. The Holy Spirit is the one who has to birth this thing in you. Hallelujah. It's, it's revelation. The Bible is given to us by way of revelation. What does that mean? It's revelatory. It means that it's an uncovering, an unveiling, a dropping down of a veil so you can see what's behind that. And in, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says that the natural man can never receive any of that. The natural man cannot understand things of the Spirit. Only the Spirit can discern spiritual things. What am I saying? God himself will show you, will reveal to you, and he must. Because your calling is holy and it originates in the heavenlies and only the God of heaven and earth can reveal that to you and make that come alive. Pull down the veil to uncover things of the spiritual realm that the natural eye could never see. And he very much wants to do that for you. But God must speak this to you. We were at uh, a conference last, no, this week and we took some of our worship team and some of our ministry department leaders down and it was an awesome conference at Gateway Church. It's one of the largest churches in the country. It's like, I don't know, 30 something thousand people. And there's a funny story. So Guy was um, there early and they were getting checked in and we were part of a group, right? Life Church X. And Life Church X were members of Gateway Network. You guys know that. And uh, so I got this email a couple days ahead of time and the email is like, hey, you know, you're Life Church X, you're uh, part of Gateway Network, and when, when you guys register, just let them know, you know, that you, who you guys are, and they're gonna, they've got some gifts for your group and all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, awesome. So I told Guy, because he's like, hey, we're here, we're checking in, you want us to just go ahead and register? Like, yeah, yeah, make sure you tell them that you're with Life Church X. So he's like, oh, okay, great, yeah. So a little while later, I get a text. Um, are you sure about that? So I'm talking to him, I was like, well, what happened? He's like, yeah. I go up to the booth and I'm getting my stuff and say, hey, um, we're with Life Church X. And the lady's like, okay. <laughs> and he said, I just turned my head and said, I'll take my packet. Thank you very much. <laughs> so what was my point? Well, pastor told him, and sometimes just your pastor saying it, just a person saying it, simply isn't good enough. You need to hear in your spirit, man, God say something to you so that you know when the time comes, you can stand on that thing and actually see the benefits of what comes from that. They know who Life Church X is now, though. I'm just telling you that. Oh, hallelujah. So it's a holy calling. In verse 3, put that verse up there real fast. When Peter's talking about it, he says this. He says that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called, kaleo, invited us by glory and virtue. Keep that up there for a second. So his glory and virtue 
is how he called us. That just means he's good. He, he is qualified. Uh, he cares about us. He, he has a high opinion of us. And he is the only one who can issue that invitation to us. But he says he's called us. And if you read that in another translation, it says to actually be called by name. By name. Personalized. I don't know about you. This is like one of the greatest, most amazing things that I've ever discovered in the scriptures is how God wants to be so close and personal. He's so big. I mean, he's so big. We see the stars and the sky and the planets and all these things, and he's just outside it all. He just spun it, just willed it, and it just happened. But he wants to be so close and so intimate at the same time. He has called us by name. It's a holy calling. Number two, it's a process. It's a process. So if you think about it like this, salvation is the ultimate fulfillment. Stepping into glory with Jesus on the other side is the ultimate fulfillment of our calling. Highest level of our calling. That means everything in this life that we're living for is a part of the journey there. It's a process. Paul speaks about this in Philippians many times over. He says this. He says that we should work out our salvation. Let me tell you what he doesn't mean, okay? He doesn't mean work for salvation. He speaks about that everywhere else in Scripture, and he speaks against it. All right, this is called systematic theology. This is where you take a verse, you say, oh, I think it means you work for your salvation. And you look at it, well, nope, he definitely doesn't mean that. You understand? So he's not saying you work for salvation. He's saying work out your salvation. It means to continue working through a process until the end of that process, until the end result. And he's just saying the fulfillment of that is when you get into glory. That's why he says in another place that the Holy Spirit, when God breathes the Spirit into us and we're born again, he says that that's that given to us as a guarantee for that which is to come. Guarantee also means a deposit or a down payment. You make a down payment on something, and then you realize the fullness of that later, right? The Holy Spirit's given to us as a down payment, as a guarantee, but there's more that we'll still step into when we get to the other side. And there's a process that's being worked out in us right now, working through that, and God using us to fulfill a calling here. He says also in Philippians in one, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, he says that I'm confident in this very thing, that the God who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What's the day of Jesus Christ? It's when he comes back. It's when we're with him, when he returns. He's going to keep working that out in you every day if you'll allow him to. The God who started the good work in you, began at spiritual birth when he breathed his spirit into you. The God who began that is the same God who will complete this work all the way until the day when you're with him for all of eternity. We don't complete it. He completes it in us and through us. Hallelujah. It's a process. And then this last part about process he speaks of in Philippians 3 Verses 12 through 14. Listen to this. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. So he's, I'm, I'm, not that I'm there. Not there. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of for me. Brethren, 
I do not count myself to have apprehended. Not naive, I don't think I'm there. But one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize, here we go, of the upward call, kaleo, of Jesus Christ. I press on, I keep moving. My feet are continuing to go. But here's the posture that he is in by way of the language he uses. This is incredible. He says, I'm pressing on, I'm leaning ahead, I'm reaching out. He's, it means he's literally got his whole weight extended out in front of him up against this thing he's referring to as the upward call. He's living for it. It's driving his life. It's the only thing that matters to him. And he's leaning up against it so much that it's holding him up. If that wasn't real and it wasn't there, he would fall. He's not just teetering with this thing. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I like it. He's leaning. He's all in, baby. I mean, he's all in. He's putting his whole life into this thing. If it's not real, I'm, a, I, I'm crazy. I'm a maniac. I've lost my lid. But if it is real, this thing's going to hold me up for every single one of my days until I go to be with Jesus on the other side. That's our posture. We're leaning into this thing. And Peter, he's, he's using these verses. He says, in the very beginning, he says, to those of us who are saved, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he meant when he said, you know, that we enjoy the faith. He said, to those of us who are saved, that are a part of uh, the family of God, who are born again, so the process has began. He says all these things that we talked about, uh, God's given us the power for life and godliness. Listen, life, zoe in the Greek, means physical life and spiritual life. God's power has given us everything we need to be saved and to fulfill the calling here on this earth, too. And he says all that. And then at the end of all these things, he says, you know, be sure of your calling. Make your calling election sure. And he says in verse 11, this is so incredible, he kind of back, so the beginning is when you're saved. And then the end of this little passage in verse 11, he says this. Put that up there. He says, for so an entrance, if you do all these things and you work through this, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Entrance into heaven. The Lord showed me something recently about this I had never seen before. Absolutely blew me away. That word, can you put that back up? That word, he shall supply to you abundantly. In the King James Version, it actually says that he will minister that to us. Minister means to serve so there's this picture of when we depart this earth this world and we go into eternity that Jesus himself swinging the gates open wide for us <laughs> we could never get ourselves there and we'll never be able to get ourselves there he's standing there on the other side ministering entrance for us abundantly into an everlasting kingdom. He's serving us. He's swinging those gates open, saying, come on in, welcome and enjoy the greatest party, the greatest celebration that you will have ever known, and it's going to last for all of eternity. That's my kind of party, baby. Hallelujah. It's a process. Number three, it's stabilizing. It's stabilizing. What do I mean by that? Verse 10, he says, make your calling and election sure. To make sure 
means to establish solid ground and footing underneath your feet. Having something that you can stand on and that you can push off of. He says, make your calling and election sure. Get this thing grounded underneath of you. Because if you do, what does he say? You'll never stumble. You'll never stumble. Now, I don't want to suggest to you that any of us will live our whole life and never stumble. Jesus did that. We can't do that. But in him, he's given us a way to walk in power and authority over these things. He says, if you make your calling and election sure, you're not going to get, stum- you're not going to get tripped up. You're not going to stumble. And when the enemy is coming at us, he, he very, very much wants to separate us from any assurance, any confidence that we could gain or have in the knowledge that we're heaven-bound and that we're called to a purpose. If he can attack this because it's not secure in us and cause us to doubt or be unsure, then he can disrupt the ground beneath our feet. He can shake our footing. You know what I think? I, I, I say this by way only of encouragement and desire to build up the family of God, and help the church to know this, that this is the case, that we are in fact called and we can live according to this calling. But I I think that there's a lot of people, even in the body of Christ, who are stumbling all through life. Stumbling. They don't know. They're not sure. They doubt. They're in hesitation. So as a result, they're trying to be someone they're not. And they're trying to do things they're not called to do. Because they're being conformed. They're trying to be who the world says they should be. Or trying to be who someone else thinks that they should be. There's no sense of calling in them who they are and who theirs called to be. I say this respectfully, but when that gets in you and you know that. And you walk through your life for the calling of God. Folks, it simply does not matter what people think. It just doesn't. It matters what Jesus thinks. And if Jesus approves of what I'm doing and how I'm living, then if someone doesn't, I am perfectly okay with that. It matters what he says about who we are. And it also helps us to be able to move forward with confidence saying, look, you may want me to do that, but God's called me to this. Well, this may be enticing, that may look good, but God's calling me to this. No, God's called me to live this way. God's called me to do this thing, and it puts to death other options that are not God, that he is not leading us into and wanting to do in and through our lives. It's stabilizing. And the last thing that it is, Fourth point is that it's clarifying. It's clarifying. Peter says in these final verses, verses 12 through 15, he says, listen, uh, I want to remind you of these things. I'm going to keep you stirred up in these things as long as I live, as long as I'm here. He says, I'm getting ready to go to be with the Lord because the Lord showed me that. But as long as I'm breathing, as long as I'm on this earth, and he says it like this, I know that you know these things, but I'm saying them anyway. Because you've got to be reminded. You've got to keep hearing this. 
How powerful is that? I mean, we take that in the context of these scriptures when we interpret them. We see, wow, Peter puts an exclamation point on the end. He says, you may have heard this before, but you're going to keep hearing it. As long as I'm here, I'm never going to stop saying this. I'm never going to stop preaching this because I know the enemy of your soul is going to slip in any chance that he gets to try to create doubt, to try to create uncertainty. And if you don't know you're called, he's going to start succeeding in what he's trying to do to dismantle you from the works of God in and through your life. But as long as I'm here with you, as long as I am an apostle over you teaching, I am going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep reminding you and I'm going to keep telling you, brothers, sisters, you are called with a holy calling. Make that sure, establish that as solid ground underneath your feet so that you can move forward with assurance that you are doing what God has called and created you to do. Hallelujah. Another good time for an amen. Awesome. All right. So it's clarifying. And the word of God is like that, right? I mean, Psalms 119, 105, it says this. It says that the word of God is a light to my path. Big picture. But it's also a lamp to my feet day to day. Hallelujah. We, we have to step back and see the bigness of our calling. Salvation, glory, eternity. And then we can start to dial in and get, what in the world is that? <laughs> Lord? No. <laughs> And we can start to dial in and get granular and get detailed with God about what He's wanting us to do, where He's leading us. I have a, one of my daughters, she has a telescope that she got for Christmas a couple of days ago. And, or a couple of things really distracting me. Um, she got for Christmas a couple years ago. And she likes to set it up at night, obviously, and we look out and, you know, when you do that, you don't just set it up and then look in there and start, oh yeah, you know, look around. You have to step back and you have to look at the whole picture, right? You have to look at the the big sky. You see the moon, you see some constellations, you see some things that are happening. You kind of point that telescope toward the moon, kind of take a look, step back, look again, step back. And you finally get on there and you dial it in. There's these different focal adjustments that you start to use for clarity. And when you're finally dialed in, you can look and all of a sudden you can see all the little pits and you know, all of the little craters and things that are kind of in the moon right there. And it's beautiful. But if you are not looking at the big picture first and you just step up and put your eye in that telescope all dialed in, you're not going to know what you're even looking at. You're going to be like, hmm, that's just bright light, you know, and some shades of gray. Okay. But you see the bigger picture first, and you know what you're doing, and you're moving it in, and then you're dialing in, and you're gaining clarity about the fine-tuning adjustments. Listen, if, if you don't know that God's called you, if you don't know that he's saved you, you don't understand that your heaven bound, that you're his child, that you're part of his family, I don't see in scripture how you can ever gain clarity about any decision that you ever make in your life, about where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do, who you're supposed to be with, the things that you're supposed to pursue. 
The, the things of our calling flow out of a knowledge of the bigger picture. Does that make sense? Out of an understanding of the eternal vantage point that we are headed to a home with God in eternity. And while we're here, everything is about that process. It's not about something else. And I don't know if this disrupts your theology or your doctrine or anything. But I'll just say it the way I see it. It's never about you. It's only about Jesus. It's all about Him. And if you're trying to look at your life from the small, limited view of just you, instead of the big picture of this all being about Jesus, I'm afraid you're going to stumble. I'm afraid you're going to stumble. But if you see Jesus is the focal point of this whole thing, God, how can I make you famous? God, how can I please you and not man? God, how can I do what you're calling me to do? How can I see what you want me to do and how you want me to be, not what this world is saying I need to do and be? Because there's times in your life where what God is calling you to do and what he's leading you into will absolutely be completely countercultural to everything the world says is and should be. And if you're not prepared for that, if you're unsure, you'll sway, you'll conform, you'll bend with culture. And Jesus was the most countercultural person I've ever known. He disrupted it, but he lived true, and we are called to live that way. Amen.